This podcast of the Model Health Show is presented to you by Sean Stevenson with Rare Gym Productions. For more information, visit the SeanStevensonModel.com. Welcome to the Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson here with my lovely, superb co-host, producer extraordinaire, Jay Terrell. What's up, Jay? What's going on, Sean? You look so good. I feel so good. Yes. Thank you very show, much. Show you right. Right. I'm sore <laughs> as all get out, but I feel good. Hey, you do what you got to do. <laughs> I heard that that soreness <laughs> is feedback that your body's changing. Hey, I like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pain is weakness leaving the body, is what they say. Who's they? The they. You yeah. know they. <laughs> <There it is>. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I appreciate the reference. Thank yes. you. So, Jade, how are you doing today? Ridiculanus. Ridiculanus. Bananas wow. and ridiculous all at once. Me- meshed. Yes. If they melded, yes. that's what you would get. That's synergy. I respect that, Jade. Thank you. So, today's show, it is very, 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 very timely. And you and I had the opportunity this past weekend to actually stand on stage in front of, what, 7,000 women? Easily, maybe eight. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, talk a little bit about breast cancer and breast cancer prevention in particular on my end. I so wanted to throw a bra out there. <laughs> right. I was just so right. wanting to do it. Yeah. Now, what you're referencing is our last show, yes. which everybody, if you haven't checked it out, make sure you check it out. It's a wonderful interview we did with medical anthropologist Sid Singer and talking about the, I mean, blatant connection between wearing bras and breast cancer. Yes. So definitely check that show out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had the honor and privilege of of standing there and I've gotten several emails I got to send you, Jade, check out from women who attended just thanking me that they can, you know, see my my passion and they really connected with some things they had never thought of before. How wonderful. How wonderful. um, It was just a quick spot, but I got a chance to touch on actual clinical studies, you know, I had them right there in my hand showing how you can reduce your risk of breast cancer mm-hmm. by 50, 60, even potentially 95% right then and there by employing certain lifestyle factors. And today's show, I really wanted to, by this being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, mm-hmm. just really smash the internet lines, just absolutely saturate the internet waves with this information about real factual mm-hmm. information on how to prevent and treat breast cancer without all of the conventional stuff that's really mm-hmm. doing a number on our women. And so. push up against that popular culture of it right now. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Because it is a, it's a business, it's a big mm-hmm. system. And just, I didn't share this with you, just last week I had a young lady, a beautiful young lady come into my office and it's actually her father who had came to an event I did maybe six years ago. Nice. And this young woman, she's 29, is just recently diagnosed with breast cancer. And as soon as he heard that from her, he's like, I got to call Sean. I got to find him. And at the time, you know, he didn't know how to find me, but he ended up seeing me in the newspaper. And um, so she came in and it was just so amazing to see, I guess amazing wouldn't be the word, it's more so shocking and scary, the lack of understanding that she had about this disease. Mm -hmm. You know, when she uh, was diagnosed, it was basically, she wasn't given any type of information on how it happened right, right or what it is what it is mm-hmm. or what she can do do about it herself mm-hmm. oh she, definitely not that she became Here's a victim. what we need to do to yeah. you she became a victim and what really hurt me the most was to hear that her doctor told her that she had a year to live oh come on you know told this young woman with three children that she had a year to live mm-hmm. okay but this is stuff i see frequently and this is the stuff that i really want everybody to get the opportunity to see the full story. 
And that's what we're really going to be talking about today. And I have a special guest on who's going to blow your socks off. I mean, yes. the amount of information that this man has that is compiled and his, even his best-selling book, Cancer, Step Outside the Box, mm-hmm. now in its fifth edition, is just going to blow you away. So I can't love wait it, to bring him on. It. We're just blowing all our little undies off. Uh-huh. And bras. <laughs> bras, no socks. Blowing bras off. <laughs> so before we get started and get into the show. Yeah. Yeah. Got to give a shout out to our sponsor. What's good, sponsor? Perfect Supplements. <laughs> PerfectSupplements.com, the industry leader for whole food nutrition. This company, the integrity is just, that's the most important thing that I see with this company. They really go above and beyond to make sure that you know where your stuff is coming from. Right. Number one, there's no binders, no fillers. It's all organic. It's all done at the highest level of integrity. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate about this company because I spent many years, I mean, I've tried hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of different supplements at this point to experiment on myself for my clients. Crazy, Mm -hmm. crazy. Mm -hmm. I don't do that now. I was going to say, please don't do that (laughs) I figured out the stuff that works and I just stick Uh with it. Uh But um, to find companies that actually will show you a certificate of analysis for what's actually in their spirulina, for example. It's yeah. just Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. I mean it's just so amazing. So that was one of the roughest journeys in trying to find a good a source for that when yeah. you introduced that to us mm-hmm. and we're finding out right. all the different places it was coming from yeah. and what was yeah. added and what it was exposed to. It was like ah phenomenal. Get so, off my spirulina. My spirulina. my spirulina. Yeah. So Spir- we've got perfect spirulina okay. is one of my favorite products that they carry. And what we're getting here is a complete protein, upwards of 71% protein by weight, Mm. um, loaded with beta carotene, the chlorophyll, a very rare nutrient that a lot of people are not familiar with yet called phycocyanin is found in spirulina. And it gives it this blue pigment. It's like a blue-green color. And phycocyanin has actually been clinically shown to stimulate stem cell production. Okay, so what does that mean, Sean? Right. Stem cells basically... you don't have to grow babies to do it. Right, exactly. (laughs) Stem cells basically become anything that you need them to become. So if you're needing to regenerate some liver tissue or Mm -hmm. some bone tissue Mm -hmm. or uh, build your blood, stem cells can become anything. They're like bodies tofu. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) So I get it. I get it. It can be melded. Come on along. So it can stimulate your body from your own bone marrow to start to push this out and produce more. That makes it a perfect match. Perfect match. Mm -hmm. Perfect supplements. Mm -hmm. So spirulina, also loving the perfect coconut oil. Just had some today Mm -hmm. in my Superman tea. Uh So I had the yerba mate in there. I had the cordyceps, perfect supplements cordyceps. And perfect coconut oil. Ooh. And, yeah, I'm feeling like $10 billion. Yeah, yeah. Blend that together in a little mocha smoka frappuccino type of drink. <laughs> and that um, that coconut oil is antiviral, antifungal, antiparasitic, antimicrobial. Uh, the lauric acid in there is just phenomenal. The medium chain triglycerides, instant cell food. Can't say enough about it, but the perfect supplements, coconut oil, is just the, the highest nice. grade. I mean, mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. I can tell the difference. It's so good. Did so. you talk to him about getting the pump? The pump to yes. be able to just, just draw dispense, out, yes. dis, dispense five gallons of That's coconut right. oil. I need hey. it in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect supplements. Listen good up. Good stuff. Good stuff. So everybody who's a fan of the show, I really appreciate you. So that's why we got you guys connected with a 10% off your entire purchase from PerfectSupplements.com. When you get to your shopping cart, just enter the code MODEL101, M-O-D-E-L-101, 
to get 10% off your entire order. Nice. All right, just to say we love you. Yes, and we do. I love you, baby. Love you. All right, so let's go ahead and bring on our special guest and get into the topic of the day. I'm ready to lose my socks. (laughs) Today's guest is Ty Bollinger, and he's a happily married husband and father, a CPA, health freedom advocate, health researcher, former competitive bodybuilder, talk show radio host, and best-selling author. After losing several family members to cancer, including his mother and father, Ty refused to accept the notion that chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery were the most effective treatments available for cancer patients. He began a quest to learn all he possibly could about alternative cancer treatments and the medical industry. What he uncovered was shocking. After almost a decade of research, he published Cancer, Step Outside the Box, which is now in its fifth edition. It's become a bestseller as well. Ty has now made it his life's mission to share the most remarkable discovery he made on his quest. The vast majority of all diseases, including cancer, can be easily prevented and even cured without drugs or surgery. Say that, Ty. Ty, Ah. welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Hey, what's going on, Sean and Jade? The coolest host I know and the most ridiculously awesome host. (laughs) That's my guy. That's my guy. He's so attentive, man. Oh, I love it. But Ty, I love that you started with a happily married husband and father, in addition to the other accolades? Well, you know, that that's actually the most important thing to me is mm-hmm. my family. Yeah. You know, God and family are at the top of my list. And so I got to mention that because that's that's just what drives me. That's why I do what I do is is uh, not just to, uh, to honor my deceased parents and other relatives that I lost from cancer, but also to uh, provide for a healthy future for my wife and kids that I love so much. That's right. And with your work for the rest of us as well. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so no, much, Ty. Thank you for having me on. It's great to, great to talk to you. You mentioned Sid Singer. She she did some great work in her book, Dress to Kill, didn't she, along with her co-author, Soma Brismeyer, about bras and breast cancer. Yep. Sid, so Sid is the husband. Soma is the wife. <laughs> okay, you know what? I did not know that. I thought Sydney was a, a lady. I thought it was two ladies. So did I. Sid's the husband. Yeah, when I saw the book, that's what I thought as well. So, yeah. I had always thought it was two ladies that wrote the book. So, you guys got a chance to speak with them or with Sid this weekend? Yeah, we had him on the show. And actually, I'm going to connect you guys up. I mean, y'all can't believe you guys haven't talked yet. So, no, never, never have met him. Otherwise, I wouldn't have thought he was a lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we did. And he was calling. We had him on from Hawaii in okay. his open foyer living space where we could hear the beautiful birds and surrounding atmosphere. It was oh, delightful. Yeah. He's a guy who really well, walks his talk. Well, you know what? The, the research they've done is amazing. If, if people are not familiar with that book, they showed in their book, Dress to Kill, the link between breast cancer and bras, I think was the name of it. That women that wore a bra 24 hours a day had a 75% chance of developing mm-hmm. breast cancer. Right. But if you wore a bra less than 12 hours a day, it was only one in 152. Yeah, exactly. Same. Just a huge, huge relationship between the bras, which what the bras do, they, they, they make it difficult for your lymphatic system to flow underneath your arms. And, that, and where do most breast cancers start? Right there. Right, yep. those lymph nodes. Yep. Yeah. Ty, this is a great opportunity just for people who don't know about you yet and to get the, the story really going. As mentioned in your bio, you know, you lost both parents, but just can you give us a, a more of a well-rounded understanding about your superhero origin story and how you've come to reach tens of thousands of people with this message now? Sure, sure. Um, 
you know, I'm a, I'm actually a CPA by trade. I I got a uh, degree from Baylor University, which, by the way, our football team is actually doing well for once. Um, <laughs> I think RG3 put us on the map. Um, but uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm a big Baylor fan. I went to school there, and, and I got a master's in taxation there, actually. So I'm a CPA. I, I do taxes, and I do tax planning and that kind of thing. You know, most of my time now is, is, is doing what, what you guys do, you know, pursuing uh, health and speaking to people about health and helping people to be healthy. But my training is actually in accounting and tax. So one of the things that I did while I was in graduate school, getting a master's in taxation, was I learned how to take the Internal Revenue Code and to simplify it so people could understand it. Because it, it, it ain't exactly crystal clear when you read through the code. So I took that training and I, I applied it to cancer treatments after my father died. My dad died July the 25th of 1996. He was diagnosed with, with stomach cancer July the 1st. And he died 25 days later. I'm so and sad. I just didn't understand how a man who was healthy, who would, all he had was, was uh, stomach pain, could, uh, could die in 25 days. It turns out that the surgery that they, that they did upon him, that they performed upon him to take out the cancerous tumors that they found, actually killed him. The surgery, he bled to death, and he died from the surgery. Um, unfortunately, you know, that's, that's a common occurrence, dying from the treatments for this disease. So... After Dad died, I lost grandmom, grand two granddads, uncle, cousin, eventually my mother. I was losing everybody in my ki- my family, so I began to do a lot of research on cancer and treatments for cancer because uh, whatever they were doing really didn't seem to be working all that well. They all dying, right. and what I discovered is that the treatments that that are deemed the the standard protocol for for conventional wisdom, for lack of a better term, conventional medical wisdom that that's kind of like an oxymoron, isn't it? Right, <laughs> conventional wisdom. Right, but. Um, the, the treatments that are popular, uh, they don't work. And the treatments that are not very popular and are not very well known work a lot better. Mm. And I just want to get all this information together in a book, so I, I, I started compiling information and ended up publishing my book in 2006, really as an, uh, as an effort to honor my parents that were both deceased from cancer and, um, and to get the information out there for everybody else so that when they are diagnosed with cancer, which according to the World Health Organization 2010 report, uh, one in two men alive today, one in three women today will face a cancer diagnosis. So that's a lot of people out there. 41% of people alive today, if you shake down the numbers, will be diagnosed with cancer. I want to get the information out there for them so they, they can have a good choice, whether they want to go conventional or whether they want to go you know, alternative or whether they want to go comprehensive, kind of a mixture of the two. At least they'll have the information in their hands so they can make a good decision. So that that's... That's my goal is to get the information out there and let people make up their minds for themselves. Wow. I appreciate, first of all, Ty, I appreciate that perspective, you know, because a lot of people don't have the opportunity to actually hear the entire story and to, to be able to take a step back and look at what cancer is, what options are available to them, and um, yeah. to be able to have, you know, more of a broader perspective. And I guess the best place for us to start today is to give people a real foundational elementary understanding of what cancer is. You know, people are in such fear of this cancer entity, this idea, and most people have never actually seen what stage four full blast cancer actually looks like. It can be a very, very ugly thing, but most people Mm -hmm. are just, they're in fear of something they don't really understand. And once they're diagnosed, they don't even get an understanding. They don't have the honor and privilege of understanding what they're actually dealing with here. So let's start with that first, Ty. What is cancer actually? Well, cancer is a normal body, bodily occurrence. 
All right? So we are all developing cancer cells all the time, every day. Now, a normally healthy immune system is able to quarantine these cells, kill the cells eventually, and, and, and uh, keep your body healthy so that you don't, you are not diagnosed with what's, what we would think of as, as life-threatening cancer. So cancer is a normal bodily occurrence. Everybody that's listening to the show is developing cancer cells. Now, so I, when I talk about, I, I've tried to change my lingo over the years because one of my good friends, uh, Edward Griffin, who wrote the book uh, Creature from Jekyll Island, he also wrote, wrote a book called World Without Cancer about vitamin B17. He talks about controlling cancer instead of curing cancer because of the fact he says, yeah, it is a, a natural everyday occurrence, so we don't want to cure it. You can't cure something that occurs naturally. You want to control it. And so I try to, I, I slip up a lot because I've been ingrained to think about curing cancer, but really we want to control cancer because it is a natural everyday occurrence. And if you have a healthy immune system and you have a body that's provided the nutrients that it needs from your, from your coconut oils and your spirulina and your green shakes and all these other good things that help the immune system, you've got a better chance of controlling the cancer. Absolutely. So I really like to look, think of, of cancer instead of, of a disease as a normal bodily occurrence that's gone, that's gone wild. Yeah. I actually, um, not too long ago, I did a lecture at a university and uh, talked a little bit about how cancers occur. Again, it's something that's related to the replication of your cells. And eventually right. your cells hitting that hay flick limit, which they're supposed to undergo a programmed cell death called apoptosis. But cancer cells don't do that. They're kind of like these immortal cells. It's very, very strange. And Ty, what I want you to let everybody know now is how do we get in a situation where those type of abnormal programs are are happening more frequently? You know, essentially our cells are not in the proper environment and it's leading to much, much greater occurrence of these cancers showing up. So please just go ahead and discuss some of the like overarching contributors to cancer in the first place. Sure, sure. And you mentioned the environment, and that is key. That is key. I'll hit on the toxicity, because toxicity that we are uh, exposed to today is a huge contributor to the cancer epidemic. But first, I want to hit on the, uh, the environment, yeah. okay? So we are, modern medicine falls under what we would call the germ theory of disease, which was developed by Louis Pasteur that said, hey, doesn't matter what your body, the state of your body's like, what we want to do is, is avoid all germs, avoid bacteria, because the bacteria and the germs and the parasites and the pathogens, that's what makes us sick. Well, he had a, co- he had a, a colleague that was named uh, Antoine Bouchamp that said, no, you know what, it's not necessarily the bacteria and the germs. It's the state of our internal terrain that determines whether or not we get sick. Because, hey, look, go to an office today, and, and we're getting here close to flu season. So what's everybody going to do? They're going to go out and get jabbed with the flu shot so they don't get the flu. Well, when you, you know, there's going to be flu, people that have the flu all over the place, and they go to work, and they're going to go to work sick. Well, let's say you got a person that goes to work with full-blown flu, just sneezing and hacking all over the place, running a fever, and he or she is sitting in an office that's got 20 people. Well, you know what? Probably only going to get five or six of them sick with the flu. The other 10, 15, whatever, not going to get sick. Why? Is it because they were exposed to different flu germs or flu bacteria or flu viruses or whatever you want to call it? No. The difference is that their body, the internal terrain of their body, was in such a state that their immune system was able to knock out that virus before they got sick. So the whole system of modern medicine is based upon a faulty premise that 
we need to eradicate germs and bacteria as opposed to working on our internal terrain so that our body can eradicate the bacteria on its own. So now let's shift from from the the, uh, germ theory versus the internal terrain theory to modern cancer treatment in which we are exposed to thousands and tens of thousands of toxicities that we didn't encounter, say, 100 years ago. Why the big cancer epidemic as opposed to the turn of the 1900s, as opposed to the year 2013? You go back 100 years and cancer was a rare thing. What was different back 100 years ago as opposed to today? We did not have airplanes flying over us, dumping toxic chemicals on us. We did not have fluoride and chlorine and lead and arsenic and other toxic chemicals being intentionally dumped into our water supply. We did not have the toxic pesticides that are uh, are, uh, pseudo-xenoestrogens that are being dumped intentionally on our food. We did not have this plethora of toxicities that are overburdening our immune system, causing genetic damage, damaging our DNA, and eventually leading to cancers. That is the difference between now and then. And, and I really believe that these, these chronic toxicities that we have is what's given rise to this, this, uh, this huge increase in cancers between, uh, over the last 100 years. Ty, I think I saw somewhere a statistic that it's like 90,000 new chemicals that have been introduced into our environment in the last like, decade or something. Oh, it's unreal. It's, yeah. it's unreal. So, you know, your body... Your immune system is so busy fighting all these chemicals, fighting off all these toxicities so that you stay alive, that sometimes there's just is nothing left for your immune system to hit what's already going on in your body, and which is cancer. Cancer cells are being produced all the time. So you have somebody that's got an immune system that is fighting these toxicities, fighting these chemicals, trying to stay healthy, and you've got that same person that uh, instead of drinking green shakes, instead of taking coconut oil, Instead of taking these, you know, clean whey proteins, we love, we love whey, we love organic vegetables. Instead of providing your body with these nutrients to keep it healthy, you got somebody that's going out and eating fast food, eating hydrogenated oils, lots of sugar, lots of sodas, and that immune system is being compromised by the food that they eat as, as opposed to the immune system being built up by the food that they eat. And they, they're not playing with the full deck. They've got a really good chance of being diagnosed with cancer because they're, the food that's supposed to be nourishing their body is actually killing their body. It's breaking their body down. Then when you throw these chemicals on top of it, man, they don't really have much of a chance. Right. You know, I, a lot of people are going to hear this, and they're going to immediately think that, wait a minute, what does eating fast food have to do with any of this? Or I had the opportunity uh, the other day to stand in front of those thousands of women and share some some statistics that one of them I actually learned from you before I went and researched it further. And one of them was, first of all, first and foremost, the American Cancer Society, you can go to their website and it says right there on their website that only five to 10% of all cancers are due to genetic mutations you receive from your parents. Right. Five to 10%. So I'm like, okay, what about the other 95%? And this is what I, I believe was the statistic I heard from you was, um, and I went and found out where this was at, was the uh, Columbia School of Public Health. And uh, Columbia University School of Public Health stating, concluding that 95% of all cancers are due to environmental toxicity yeah. and poor diet. Yeah, yeah. 
that's, that's true. That, that's true. And, and I think I, I state that in the book, but I don't know that I reference it. So thanks for finding that, because I'm not sure that I mentioned Columbia, but I do mention 95% of the cancers are uh, environmentally toxicity-related. Yeah, um, and, it, and it is interesting that even the ACS on their own website admits that only five to ten. And I, I would think I, I would assert that that's way high. I, yeah. I actually don't even I, I don't even think that cancer cancer has a genetic aspect in that you may have inherited a, a naturally uh, compromised immune system. You may have inherited an immune system that is not working at full peak. You may have inherited other genetic traits that that cause your immune system to, to have to fight harder than somebody else. So in that sense, you know, perhaps cancer is genetic, but hey, it, on an overall scale, I would say that, you know, there was a, there was a study that was done on something like 90,000 identical twins, and they showed that, that cancer is not really genetic at all. And that's, it's the biggest study that's ever been done on the, the genetic aspect of cancer. It was done on 90,000 twins, and I think it was in Norway, and you would think that if anybody has similar DNA or almost identical right. DNA, it would be the twins. Yeah. But they showed that cancer is not really genetic at all. I, 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 I cited it in the book. I can't remember who did the study. And I'm not sure that it was actually Norway, but it's in there. Yeah. Ty, I mean, you brought it up, I mean, perfectly. And um, like I said, I've gotten a lot of information from you. But it's just understanding that, first and foremost, when we have this idea that our genes are doing something to us or that our genes are going to get us, we're putting ourselves yeah. automatically at this very disempowered state. You know, yeah, we're a yeah, victim. Exactly. Making yourself into a victim if you do that. Because if you say, I've got cancer, the cancer gene, then what you've just done is, I like the way you put you know, you disempowered yourself. I got the cancer gene. There, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm going to get cancer. Um, don't worry about what I eat. Don't worry about exercise. Don't worry about all these other factors that I can do to mitigate the the chances I have of cancer. I got the cancer gene. I'm going to get cancer. It's just a foregone conclusion. You have really, you've made yourself out to be a victim if you buy into that. Oh, right. certainly. And then, and then we give them a false sense of fight back. We're telling them, oh, we're fighting cancer. We're fighting mm-hmm. cancer. We're not. We're creating more of a defeatist uh, yeah. mindset. <laughs> more of a, we are. This young we're lady, fighting and we're losing. I did an interview yeah. with a young woman who, she said, I got to get my seven. I got to have a successful seven. I have to have seven surgeries in order to win over this cancer. And I've already, so I've had my breasts removed and I'm, I'm waiting to get my nipples. And I got to have, uh, I have a hysterectomy on the way. And she says, if I win these surgeries, if I win, she's, it's a false sense of victory. She's getting pulled apart, taken apart, yeah. dismantled, disassembled, yeah. and then ultimately yeah. will have nothing to fight with. It's very sad. It's very sad because of the fact that, you know, cancer is not a disease that results from a lack of chemotherapy. It's not a disease <laughs> that results from a lack of radiation. Right. And it's not a disease that, that, that results from a lack of surgeries. Yeah, a uh, it's not a re- disease that results because you have too many body parts. Mm. Um, mm. And so you're not going to control cancer with chemotherapy, radiation, or surgery, because that's not what gave rise to cancer to start with. Cancer was created in your body. Well, first of all, it's a natural process, but the cancer spread in your body because your immune system is compromised. You know, we're, we're in October now, so it's, it's the Breast Cancer Awareness Month. You know, every, all the teens are wearing pink, pink everything. I'm going to break this on your show here. I, I got a, a new breast cancer awareness uh, theme here. Let's, let's click for the cure. Let's make all the, the TV remote controls pink. And so while the people are kicking back and, and doing nothing and maybe eating their Kentucky Fried Chicken and drinking their sodas, hey, they, can click, they can click with a pink clicker. That's right. And that'll, you know, every, 50 cents from every clicker goes to Breast Cancer Awareness Month and goes to the American Cancer Society 
So they can do what? Well, no, only 16% of their revenues go to actually looking for cancer cures and research. 84% of their overhead goes to funding their extravagant salaries for their board of directors and, and other things like that. Oh, wow. So that's a fact. Well, you're a CPA, so I'm right. looking at that. So how much overhead was it for you to come up with and discover such a vital response to this thing? You know, <laughs> I think it's time cure. for an audit. Well, <laughs> right. you know what? You know what? They're a, a, a nonprofit organization, so you can go out and you can you can see their their financial reports and you can see what they spend their money on. And, and so, uh, you know, they, they've got anywhere, depending upon the year, 16 to 18 percent of the money that they receive goes to actual research. The other 80 plus percent goes to administrative overhead, which is travel, meals, entertainment, salaries, bonuses, and so forth. And media, um, definitely media. Yeah. Yeah. The reason that I mentioned you're, you're kicking back with your pink clicker and, and eating Kentucky Fried Chicken is that if you remember back in 2010, Kentucky Fried Chicken was, they, they and during October of 2010, they were selling Kentucky Fried Chicken in big pink uh, cartons Dang. because 50 cents of every carton of chicken that you bought was supposed to go to Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which to me was really ironic because you're looking at fried chicken, which is nothing wrong with chicken if it's organic. Nothing wrong with frying something if it's in coconut oil. But we're looking at factory farm chicken cooked in hydrogenated soybean Mm -hmm. oil. With steroided pumped up breasts. Yeah. The the steroid. (laughs) We're going to give some of this back. That's called giving back to the community you serve. Wow. (laughs) So crazy. Oh, gosh. I love that idea. I think this is a good place. I mean, you brought these three up, you know, the big three. The big three weapons that conventional cancer has to treat cancer, which is radiation, surgery, and chemotherapy. Yeah. Let's dive into these. Let's start with chemotherapy. And first and foremost, do these treatments actually work? Well, it depends on what your definition of work is. Kind of like Bill Clinton, right? It depends on what the definition of is is. <laughs> okay, so, so what does it mean to work? If, if if the definition of work is do they kill cancer cells, heck yeah, they do. Chemotherapy kills cancer cells. Radiation kills cancer cells. Surgery will cut out cancer cells. But if your definition of work is does it work long-term to where the person has the long-term control of cancer and they're alive five years later, heck no. Chemotherapy, the best study that I'm aware of that was done, the most comprehensive study on chemotherapy that I'm aware of was down at Royal Sydney Cancer Clinic down in Sydney, Australia. They came out with a 2005 article, which, which was published in the National Institutes of Health. Uh, the effectiveness of chemotherapy on a five-year survival rate on, on a, the majority of cancers that they tested in the USA, I believe, was 2.1%. In, in Australia, it was 2.3%. So what does that mean? It means that the effectiveness of chemotherapy is less than a placebo, because according to the the FDA, I believe, the placebo is anything that works, works less than 30% of the time. But this study shows that it works around 2% on a five-year survival rate. So does it kill cancers initially? Yes. But here's the problem. Chemotherapy is toxic poison. It destroys the immune system. So you're taking someone that has a proliferation of cancer cells because their immune system has been compromised, which we've already talked about in this hour, and you're taking them and you're giving them chemotherapy drugs, which destroy that immune system that's already been compromised. You're going to kill the cancer cells? Yep. What are you going to do to them long-term? You're going to kill them long-term. 
because their their immune system is going to be shot. That's why the, the survival rate of somebody after five years is so low, because you, you initially are going to get a, a remission. At least they're going to, the doctors are going to go in there, they're going to test after the chemotherapy rounds, and oftentimes they're going to say, well, you know, your cancer's gone. Come back 18, 24 months later, and that person that may have had breast cancer, and they got chemo for and radiation just to make sure, and remove that breast just to make sure, you're going to come back 24 months later, and that cancer is very likely going to have spread all over their whole body. And now they've got metastasized lymph nodes, they've got metastasized pancreatic cancer, liver cancer, and so forth, because the, the chemotherapy killed the cancer cells up front, but also killed their immune system. And, and that's why you're rarely going to get a long-term control for cancer from, by chemotherapy because it destroys the immune system, which is our own natural protection against the cancer. Now, Ty, wh- where did this whole concept or treatment of chemotherapy, where did this originate? Well, the first chemotherapy drugs, they were tested after World War II because the, uh, the doctors re- recognized that the mustard gases that they used to execute the Jews and other people, the other dissidents in World War II Germany, actually killed cancer cells pretty well. They were testing it, and I'm not sure exactly how the test went. I don't know if they were doing autopsies on the, the, the inmates that were executed, that were murdered, or how that happened. But the initial tests on chemotherapy were as a result of doctors seeing that this mustard gas that they used were, was actually cytotoxic to cancer cells. So the first chemotherapies, and, and still, I mean, all of the chemotherapies that are used now, they're all cytotoxic. They kill cancer cells, but they're also not selectively toxic. And, and see, that's the problem. The, the, why did the prisoners die in World War II in the, in, the, in the gas chambers? Because the mustard gas killed all cells indiscriminately, and that's what chemotherapy drugs do. They kill the good cells and the bad cells. And the, the theory behind chemotherapy is, hey, maybe we can kill the bad cells before we kill you. Right. To me, that's not very good. That's not very good hypothesis to, yeah. upon which to operate. Collateral yeah. damage. Yeah, that's just. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just bad science, right there. It's, it's horrible science. Yeah, but you know what? The the uh, the therapeutics of chemotherapy have never been something to be proud of. It's always been kind of like a backroom deal, right. and that's why chemotherapy. Um, it, that's why chemotherapy is. I think that's why it's so popular. Because we've never really looked at the science behind chemotherapy. We're just told that it works. But heck, in, in the 1980s, there was a doctor that was named Ulrich Abel, and he was from Germany. I believe he was an epidemiologist. And he did the most comprehensive analysis that's ever been done on chemotherapy, literally. He, he contacted over 350 medical schools worldwide. He asked them, hey, send us your stuff. Send us your results. Send us your research on chemotherapy. I want to see if this stuff really works because this is what's being prescribed to patients. I want to know that it works. He was not going out to disprove chemotherapy. He was actually going out just to see what the effectiveness was. Well, after he looked at the results, he was probably the most versed scientist in the world on chemotherapy, and he published his results in the Lancet, you know, the the, uh, medical journal Lancet in 1991, I believe. And he said something to the effect that the success of most chemotherapies is appalling there's no scientific evidence that it, that it helps with the majority of cancers. And the quote that I remember is that, that chemotherapy for malignancies is a scientific wasteland. Uh, a scientific wasteland. This is the standard procedure. Treat people with what the most knowledgeable scientists in the world call as a scientific wasteland. 
Of course, you know, that nobody ever quotes the study. It was buried. Nobody, the medical journals did not carry it. But that's what Dr. Abel said 20 years ago about chemotherapy. Wow. You know what, Ty? I mean, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of seeing women destroyed. I'm sick of seeing men destroyed, kids destroyed by yeah. this Neanderthal-type treatment, you know? And we just we just accept the fact that, oh, I've got cancer. This is what we do. We go through chemotherapy, and it destroys us. And we sit back, yeah. and, and we watch and, and try and support our loved ones that are going through it. But yeah. we just sit back, and we, we picture something that is so grotesque and damaging to a human being as being the way to go instead of something that brings vitality and life to their body, creating an environment of wealth and health and happiness within them, and watching what that can do to cancer. You know, it's just very backwards thinking. And I'm just really, I'm pissed. I'm tired of seeing this. You should be. It's cruelty. It's cruelty. You know, we wouldn't stand by, we wouldn't stand by and watch someone pick a person apart and not stand up and say something. We wouldn't. No. And look, let's let's talk about a couple things. I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk about pets and children. If somebody did this to a pet, Peter would be all over and they'd throw the person in jail. Okay? If they did to a pet what oncologists regularly do to people, that oncologist would be thrown in jail. Yeah. All right? That's just a fact. Okay? And, and, and I'm not saying that that's not a good thing. I mean, you shouldn't mm-hmm. be cruel to pets. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's a double standard. It is. And let's look at children, okay? There was an article that, that Mike Adams posted a couple of days ago on Natural News about an Amish girl up in Ohio that is being forced against her parents' wishes to undergo chemotherapy, okay? They are forcing a little girl to undergo chemo. No. This is not the first time. This is becoming standard procedure. The effectiveness of chemotherapy is appalling. I've already gone over those statistics. I'm dealing right now with one, two, three other families, three other families that are having their children forced to do chemotherapy against their wishes because that's the standard procedure. One of the families, the man's name is Jay Matthews. His little girl is named Selena. And they told us not to say her name because it would give them bad press. So you know what? Selena Matthews, I'll say it over and over. Selena Matthews, she's eight years old. I think she just turned nine. They just cut off her arm. She's in Chicago at uh, Rush Hospital. And I wish I knew the oncologist's names because I'd say it on the air, too. They forced her the last year to undergo chemotherapy, even though she was having success with natural treatments. They kidnapped her from the parents. They said that if if you don't let us do chemotherapy, CPS will come in and not only take her, they'll take your other children. They forced her to do chemo for a year, which resulted in her losing her arm, which they just chopped off on Monday. Oh, God. Okay, these are criminals. They should be prosecuted for doing this to this little girl. And this is happening all over the country right now. It oh, makes yeah. me disgusted. Yeah. How old did you say she was? She's, I believe she's nine now. Yeah. Well, this brings up a very important point that, um, especially when it comes to our children, uh, as parents, we're very much, we're the protectors of our children. Yeah. And, you know, when we get into the real meat and potatoes of the situation, Ty, we start to see that, you know, there's a lot of government intervention when it comes to, you know, kids when they actually have cancer. Because we can't, at this point, fight face-to-face with this system. We want to put ourselves in a position where cancer is not an object in our lives in the first place. You know, because once it gets to that place, I mean, it can get very, very ugly. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, it's a 29-year-old woman, three children, five radiation treatments already. What about this radiation treatment? What's what's going on there? 
Well, I mean, radiation causes cancer. <laughs> right. right. That's not even up for debate. Radiation causes cancer. So why are they the, using uh, radiation to treat cancer then? Well, because in in the doses that they this is their this is the official story. Okay. That in the, the the small doses that they have to use, that it'll actually kill the cancer without harming you. Problem is that radiation is cumulative. Okay. Right. That's why I recommend against folks going through the uh, the full body porno scanners in the uh, the airports now with the TSA that likes to gloat people's crotches, by the way, especially if you're an uh, old granny or if you're an infant. Um, that's why I recommend against that because radiation is cumulative. And, and so the idea that we can somehow kill the cancer without hurting the host, which is the patient, is, is really absurd. Uh, Dr. Marcola posted a couple, uh, I think it was maybe a year, year and a half ago, the fact that the radiation from CAT scans, from uh, radiation treatments to cancer, from MRIs and so forth, causes 30,000 cancers a year. It's a well-documented article. So it's not really up for debate that radiation causes cancer. The whole problem is this. Modern cancer industry loves to treat tumors, but the tumors are a symptom of the cancer. So, for instance, let's say you get undergo radiation. And you radiate this tumor, and you kill the cancer cells in the tumor. Did you do anything to assist your immune system so that in the future it can fight off the cancer, which it needs to do, right, because we're still being exposed to toxicity every day? Did you do anything to help the immune system? And the answer, of course, it's a rhetorical question, is no. So when we're poisoning someone with radiation or chemotherapy, you may get an initial reduction in the tumor size because you are going to kill the cancer cells. The radiation can kill cancer cells. I mean, it kills cells indiscriminately. It kills all cells. So you're going to kill the cancer. The problem is because of modern medicine's infatuation with treating symptoms, which is the tumor in a cancer patient, as opposed to getting to the root cause, you're not going to typically have a long-term control for the cancer because you did nothing to treat the underlying cause of that sickness. And uh, whether it's radiation or, cancer or, or chemotherapy, right. neither one of those do anything to treat the underlying cause, which is a compromised immune system. Right, right. This takes me back to what Sid Singer was saying, that it's, if you look at the analogy of like a MASH treatment facility where we're in the middle of a war, we're bringing folks into triage, and we're basically, with this system and the way we're going about it, we're basically fixing them up to send them back yeah. out there to fight the same death-causing death kind of war. Right. And then, of course, if you ask the physician, mm-hmm. what do we need to do to actually prevent all these people we have to patch up? I mean, like, in the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the war. That's the only solution, mm-hmm. you know. But we're not thinking in terms of that. Mm-mm. So I'm really appreciative, Ty, of you bringing up and just helping people to understand, you know, we're using cancer-causing treatments to treat cancer. You know, it's just kind of silly. And yeah. for people, before you just go and... Yeah. Um, jump into having radiation therapy done. Just consider that there is another side to the story. It's not that this is the appropriate thing. It's just that this is the tool that they have, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. That so, they choose to use. Right, and I want to talk about this really quickly too, is that oftentimes, you know, my clients over the years and just people who I've met and had the uh, opportunity to talk with, even, you know, many people who are successful um, now out there talking about reversing their cancer and they're out spreading the word about it, is that when you are diagnosed with cancer, immediately, like a snap of the finger, it becomes like a doomsday report. You know, we've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to get you set up for chemotherapy. 
And it's just automatic. It's such a, a whirlwind and just um, they just immerse the person in all of this death and um, and treatment immediately. They don't even give yeah. them an opportunity to breathe and consider other things. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a, that's a great point, Sean. That's a great point because that that is the typical response from a cancer industry is to create fear. Uh, you know, and what, what's the old acronym? False evidence appearing real. Mm-hmm. So they are going to create fear. That is standard protocol because they want you to do the treatments. Right. They want you to get uh, start the treatment immediately. I was doing a, uh, uh, and by the way, I was just thinking of this statistic. There was a, there's a, a former head of the American Cancer Society. His name was Dr. John Laszlo, I think. He, he did research and he published in a book, I can't think of the name, um, that if you do chemo and radiation together, you have a 25-time more likely chance of, of, of having cancer reoccur. Okay? So that's, that's a, a CPA. I like statistics. Former head of the American <laughs> Cancer Society. Put that in the book. You can look it up, Dr. John Laszlo. Okay. I was doing an interview a couple of years ago. I, was, I think it was on Coast to Coast AM. And I was talking about how the cancer industry gets you with fear. And they, and they just captivate you with fear. And they throw you into their, uh, like a line of cattle going to be slaughtered into their system. This guy, I, I said, you know, one of the things they want is they want you to do expensive treatments. Sometimes chemotherapy costs $50,000 per shot. Well, I, got a, I got an email after that interview from a guy, and he said, you know what, you, you actually undershot it. My mom was just diagnosed with cancer a few months ago. She was a healthy woman. We didn't know anything was wrong with her. She had no symptoms. She went into the doctor just for a checkup. They diagnosed her with, with uh, stage 4 cancer, said she would be dead if we didn't do chemotherapy. Mm. Now, this is, a, this is a woman that was seemingly healthy. She had no symptoms. He said it took 14 days to kill her. They, caught, they, they did this experimental chemotherapy, cost $70,000 for one mm-hmm. shot. She was dead as a hammer within two weeks. Wow. Okay. Now, you're a they, CPA. Now, if you were billing at $70,000 per hour, hmm. yeah. <laughs> can you tell me what that adds up to? Well, let, <laughs> let, me, let me answer that question with a question. This will, this will help the, the, the listeners to understand why tre- natural treatments are suppressed. If you are in it for the money, which I'm not saying all doctors are in it for the money, but if you're in it for the money, what treatment are you going to prescribe? Are you going to prescribe a treatment that costs $70,000 a shot or, and doesn't work? Or are you going to prescribe a treatment that costs $9 for a bottle that you can use for a month and you might be in remission after that month? Just think about it. Just think about the financial aspect of cancer treatment. And I think that your eyes will be opened as to why certain treatments are prescribed and why certain treatments are suppressed. That will explain to you why... Um, a good friend of mine, Jason Vale, who was uh, advertising apricot seeds and apple seeds on his website, was thrown in jail for five years in the New York State Penitentiary because he was making claims that these actually help to control the cancer, which they do, and why the FDA can get away with promoting a, a, an approved drug like Vioxx, which eventually killed 60,000 people, and they don't even get the wrist slapped. Right. So, Ty, you just brought it up. What's going on with those apricot kernels? What's in there? Tell us about it. Yeah, well, apricot seeds were one of the first treatments that I learned about when I was researching cancer after Dad died. It's actually called vitamin B17 or laetrile or amygdalin. So this vitamin B17 molecule is present in apricot seeds and in apple seeds and other seeds of, of pitted fruits. 
here's what makes it so unique. I look at it as kind of like God's natural treatment for cancer because each molecule of vitamin B17 contains one unit of hydrogen cyanide, one unit of benzaldehyde, and two units of glucose or sugar. Now, in order for the hydrogen cyanide to become dangerous, it's got to be unlocked. So there's got to be an unlocking mechanism in your body. Well, that happens by uh, an enzyme that's called beta-glucosidase, which, by the way, is only present in cancer cells. So the hydrogen cyanide and the benzaldehyde, actually, another poison, are unlocked at the cancer site, and they form this deadly poison, which is like a double whammy, okay? And it's actually something like 100 times more deadly than either of them in isolation. It's the synergy that works together. literally obliterates cancer cells. The problem then, you see a lot of fear-mongering on the web saying, oh, you've got to watch out for this toxic cyanide and benzaldehyde and cancer and, and uh, vitamin B17. It'll kill you. Well, no, it won't because there's another enzyme called rhodonese that's present in abundance in healthy cells that actually takes that poison and it breaks down the cyanide and benzaldehyde into a, a silicate, which is kind of like a natural aspen that, that helps with pain uh, control. So this is like natural treatment, God's natural treatment for cancer all bound up in one. Not only kills the cancer cells, but then it actually gives you natural pain relief. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Uh, so I, that's why I, I love you refer to the apple seed and apple seed. That's fantastic. Wow. I, I want to take a quick step back. and um, yes. You know, you brought up the fact that uh, not all doctors and, and healthcare practitioners are in it for the money. And, um, you, you know, I know you agree with me that oftentimes people get into it for the right reasons. You know, they get into it, they want to help people. But it's just really yeah. everybody starting to, you know, put your disbelief to the side and understand that this is still a business. Um, you need to have sick people if yeah. that's your job to treat sick people. And yeah. regardless of whether or not you're a good person or you're in it for the right reasons, yeah, you right. take really smart people, the smartest people, the brightest minds that we have in our country or in our world, and you teach them the wrong thing, they become very, very good at doing the wrong thing. Right. Yes. Excellent point. And, and so let me real quickly bring up what's called the Flexner Report, because that is a perfect way to tie it all together, and that way people will understand why do they do what they do in modern medicine today. A hundred years ago, the American Medical Association was trying to figure out a way to boost their revenues. They were actually on the verge of bankruptcy around the turn of the century. John Rockefeller stepped in, and uh, along with his buddy, Andrew Carnegie, and they wanted to pick up this program of ranking medical schools for the AMA, who was, like I said, basically bankrupt. They were out of money. So Rockefeller Carnegie stepped in. They send a guy named Abraham Flexner, uh, along with the head of the American Medical Association at that time, to complete this project. They visited 300-plus medical schools all over the United States, and they published a report in 1910 called the Flexner Report because Abraham Flexner was the guy that, that led the charge. Now, Abraham Flexner, by the way, didn't have any kind of medical education at all. He had never, had, never done any study, and he actually ran a, a boarding school that had gone bankrupt just so you have a little bit of background on the guy that ranks medical schools. That's kind of like me. That'd be like me going and um, uh, doing a, a report on uh, <laughs> how, how, do you, how do women nurse babies, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I'm probably not the best guy to do that, okay? Because mm-hmm. I'm not a woman. I don't really have a clue about the, the intricacies of nursing your baby. I think that a better person would be a woman that had a baby. Anyway, right. mm-hmm. side note. Mm-hmm. So Fletcher gets in, he publishes this report. The report says the best medical schools here in, in these United States are the ones that are practicing drug-intensive medicine. Not in so many words, but the, the, the medical schools that received the high grades, according to this report, were the ones that were practicing drug-intensive medicine. Because why? The, <coughs> excuse me, the Flexner Report was funded by John Rockefeller, who owned chemical companies that later became pharmaceutical companies, and he wanted to not only monopolize the market, but he wanted to capture as much business as he could. And so he figured, hey, if we can get the medical schools to push our drugs that we're developing, we got a great supply chain. And so he did. And so the Flexner Report came out. As a result, the, t- the schools that were teaching natural medicine, homeopathy, herbalism, chiropractic, they fell by the wayside because uh, Rockefeller sent $550 million in $1910, which is the equivalent of about $20 billion, with a B, dollars today, to the, to the medical schools that were teaching sound medicine, which was what? Drug-intensive medicine. The other schools fell by the wayside. So within the next 20 years, the homeopaths, the chiropractors, the herbalists, their medical, the medical schools that were teaching these disciplines, they were no longer. And the medical schools that lasted were the drug-intensive medical schools that could then push the drugs, the chemicals that were created by John Rockefeller's chemical companies. And so as a result, 100 years later, the field of medicine, especially in cancer treatments, is dominated by drug-intensive treatments. And the reason is not because they work better, but because of a business alliance that was created 100 years ago by John Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie and the American Medical Association. That's why we have drug-intensive medicine today. People need to understand that. That's a horror movie. That's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where there's just like everywhere you turn, you just, ah! Talk about October hollows. Right, right. Yeah, it is. It's like a a horror movie, but that's the the history of, of modern medicine. And people, if they understand that, they understand that medical doctors today are in the driver's seat only because of this coalition. Right. And not because that their, their treatments work better. They can maybe begin to open their mind up and, and, and look outside the box yeah. to other treatments. I, I really encourage everybody because, again, this, it sounds like a horror movie, but just take a moment and actually look into it. There are several videos online. There's several um, articles and documents you can find about this whole situation. You know, Ty is just bringing it all together. But you can see the, the birthing of the American Cancer Society. You know, where did it actually come from? How did it get funded? And you can actually see, yeah, at the beginning of, of the, the, the century that, uh, well, the, the 1900s, that these uh, different approaches to medicine and to healing were pretty equal. You know, chiropractic, the uh, naturopathic, the allopathic, which is conventional medicine. You know, people had an opportunity, a wide variety of things that they could, could go to if they fell sick. And it's just like, what happened to all the rest of these things? They become kind of hooky. They become, quote, alternative, right. you know, and then the, this medical <laughs> monster just is able to take over, <sighs> you know. So this th- this right. information is out there and oh everybody gosh, can, you know, just have the insight to go and look. And you look know, it up. America has a way of selectively hiding and yes. concealing <laughs> history. So we've been just, bamboozled. Yet again. Let us stray. Dog, go. <laughs> Run amok. We have, been, we have been bamboozled, no doubt. 
Oh my gosh, I can't thank you enough for sharing what you had learned and doing so boldly and lovingly for us. Well, you know, I I really appreciate you guys, what you're doing, the work you're doing. We're all on the same team, and we all have the same mission to to empower people with knowledge. And and look, here's the thing, Uh, and I think you guys will agree. We're about the freedom to do what you need to do to treat your disease, and so... People always say, you know, you hate people that do chemo. You hate the people that do radio. You hate doctors. No, no, I don't. I, I hate people that suppress information for a financial motive. There we go. I want people to have the knowledge at their fingertips so where they can choose to treat their cancer any way they want. And if they want to go conventional, man, I'll pray for you. God bless you. I hope that you, that you control your cancer with chemo and radiation. It's not about forcing people to do alternative. It's about making this an, a viable option and getting the information out there so people can actually choose these treatments as opposed to having them suppressed by money-hungry uh, ogres that are, doing, that are doing nothing except killing people while they rob their bank account. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Ty, before, before you go, we've got to get into this one because this is something that I saw this weekend that, honestly, it was the most alarming thing for me and it's kind of hard for me to, to hear. Um, You know, from the statistics that you gave, you know, at the beginning of, you know, the 1900s, we're talking about one in 8,000 people getting cancer. One in 8,000 to go from that to one in two, in some instances, for women. Um, It's just, and here's what people will say. It's because we have early detection now. Okay, to go from one in 8,000 to one in two, that's a big jump. All right, now, uh, what I want to talk about is what, what, some people were there promoting, which is early detection and getting your mammograms yearly, right? Mm-hmm. Tell us, talk a little bit about these mammograms and are these things really that necessary? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, a great, that's a great question because mammograms are actually extremely invasive for women. I've never had one, but I've had them described to me. And they're extremely I can invasive. describe it for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know. See, see, you should be leading that study. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're extremely invasive, and, and they're, they're also radi- radiation. So they're, they're going to have a cumulative effect of, of radiation on the breast. Now, there was an article published in the July 2006 issue of the Journal of Clinical Oncology, which is a reputable medical journal. The researchers showed that the radiation from, from uh, mammograms there's like a study of 1,600 people in Europe, I think women in Europe, that, that women who had just had one, one mammogram were 54% more likely to develop oh breast cancer gosh. than those who had never had one. Oh 54, so one, one mammogram gives you a 54% chance more of developing breast cancer. Why? Because oh you just exposed your, your breast to radiation, and radiation is a cumulative toxin that causes cancer. There are much better alternatives. There is uh, a, 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 a process called thermography where you actually, the, the woman would lay down on a table, fully clothed, and blows, cool air would be blown over the breast, and a thermographic image, not, not a, a picture, but just a thermographic image, which shows hot spots, okay? And, and what would happen is that because the cancer cells are more primitive, they would react to the cool air slower than the normal cells. And so on a thermographic image, any kind of cancerous tumors or cancerous cells would show up as red on this thermographic image as opposed to being blue or greenish. And so it's it's an exceptionally effective treatment. It can detect breast cancers up to five years before 
uh, mammograms can. The problem is it works too good, and it's cheap. I mean, the breast cancer industry is a $2 billion industry. Why are they going to give up a $2 billion industry that actually causes cancer so then they can sell the treatments, you know, they can sell the chemo, they can sell the radiation treatments, they can sell the surgeries. I mean, this is like a, in in baseball lingo, you know, the World Series is coming up. This is like a triple play, Mm. you know? You've got chemo, radiation, and surgery that actually cause the cancer so you can not only treat the, or you can not only detect the cancer, early detection is your best, uh, is your best choice, you know, whatever that slang is. But then because of the treatment or the, because of the uh, procedure that gave you early detection, you can actually cause the disease that you're going to treat. You're going to make a fortune. Oh Why would they want to give that up? Sid Singer last week on the show also mentioned that the um, thermography technicians are very much well aware of the fact that wearing bras has a significant impact on that, um, the readout that they get, that the breasts oh, yeah. themselves are going to be, like you said, it's a hot spot. The breasts themselves become a big hot spot because of wearing a bra con- continuously in the bra and the, uh, the breast being really packed in closer to your body and heating up a lot more. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, great point. But, you know, here's the thing. We live in this bizarro world where if you talk about these things, you're like, you're, you're, you're called an alarmist or a conspiracy theorist or a truther or a denier or whatever the lingo is. It's like, you know, they don't have any kind of uh, logical arguments to, to combat our, our uh, lines of thought. Our, so, so what do they do? They just call us names. And so that's why I get called names all the time because the research I've done, the treatments I talk about, I mean, these are, these are pretty straightforward. This is facts. we got studies on our side. The other side doesn't have jack squat. Uh-huh. All they've got, all they can do is attack us. And that's so that's diversion. why we get called names. Mm-hmm. That's a diversion. That's what usually yeah, happens when you is. get into a conflict. Right. You know, you're not, you're no longer talking about the issue yeah. or you have a valid point. That doesn't work in a debate. No, you know? no. And it, it's really childish. It's really childish. It's, it's like what happened when you were a kid and you're out on the, the playground and you got into an argument with somebody and, and eventually they said, well, yeah, your mama's fat. That's right. Well, okay. <laughs> what yeah, does mom. that have to do? Right. 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 That's, that's, that's the equivalent of what they do to us by calling us names. Or, or they'll, they'll say, you know what, you're murdering people by spreading these, this quackery of alternative treatments. You're a murderer. Mm-hmm. Really? I, I, would, I would like to sit down with them and go over some statistics if it was really the murderer. Right. <laughs> you know, that would be cool. So me as a producer, I could see like in the middle of a boxing ring, right? And then there's a table in the middle, and then we've got the conventional on one side, modern uh, medicine on one side, and then we got yeah. tie on the other, and then you've got your cards. Well, whom? Here's this study. Whom? Here's this study. And then, boom, boom. <laughs> you know, you yeah, ring the you bell, ding, it, ding. If, if it actually does turn into a uh, physical fight, I want Sean on my team. <laughs> you know what? That's right. That's right. And I got you back. <laughs> right, right. Jake cool. and Bra, she's got that look in her eyes. Hey, I'll, I'll, I want both of you. I, mean, I was already assuming that, that, that Jade was on my team. I want Sean, too. I want both of you on my team. We'll take them on. Absolutely. You got it, you got hey, it Coach. Todd, before – I'm sorry. Todd, before we go, um, we've got maybe two minutes here to really dive in and look at – okay, now that we know that there's this – monstrous issue what are some of the things that we need to do to actually prevent cancer um okay. i'm just going to touch on something really quickly then i, I want you to just go ahead and finish this, these points uh, from my okay. perspective i always take this three 
three prong approach, and it's essentially this um, peak performance trilogy, and it ties across the board. So one of those things is exercise and movement, and with that component, as far as cancer goes, by you not moving your body, your lymphatic system is not moving, and thus the the toxicity level in your extracellular fluid, your lymphatic system, your your lymph nodes is getting congested and clogged and very very dirty, creating an environment where cancer can show its face. So that's one prong. The other prong is your food, your nutrition. And this is how we interact with our environment. So what are you taking from outside the environment and putting in your body and understanding that there are so many food-like products now in our supply chain that are proven to be carcinogens. So that's the other thing. And the third thing is sleep, you know. And actually, I, I might have been from Utah that I first heard this, that the uh, World Health Organization has now said that shift work is now considered to be a class three carcinogen. Okay, wow. So not sleeping. So Ty, can you hit those three things really quickly within the next two minutes? Yes. And <laughs> I'll, be, I'll give it my best shot. And by the way, that's exactly what the, the different prongs that I hit, except I, I call it four prongs, the immune system and food, the uh, detoxification, exercise and sleep, but really... Yeah you can combine detox and exercise. So we're really on the same page there. First of all, nutrition. You've got you to overdose on nutrition, as my good friend Chris Wark said. Like when he was diagnosed with cancer, he overdosed on nutrition. You've got to, the food you're eating is either going to cause and feed the cancer or it's going to kill the cancer. So you need to ingest foods that will uh, kill the cancer, that will fuel your immune system so that it can naturally fight the cancer. Number one, you've got to detoxify. Your body's toxic. That's one of the reasons that you have cancer, that you will get cancer. So you've got to detoxify. Two good things to detoxify, jumping on a rebounder every day to stimulate that lymphatic system, as well as, which I do on a daily basis, and laying, I sweat in an infrared sauna. Now, I work behind a desk, so I've got to do that. I try to exercise every day because I'm sitting behind the desk like a lump on a log, Okay. Lymphatic system has to be stimulated. The skin has to be stimulated to sweat. And so an infrared sauna, I sweat every day. That helps the detox and the lymphatic system. Uh, as far as exercise, you're, you're kind of getting a double whammy with a rebounder, lymphatic system and exercise. I also do weight training and try to do a treadmill or run. But you've got to get some exercise. Lastly, you're right, sleep is a key to treating. Uh, melatonin secretion is a very, very potent anti-cancer and if you're doing shift work, if you don't sleep well, if you leave your lights on, a nightlight, or if you leave your handheld device on that's got a light, it, studies have been shown, dozens and dozens of studies have been shown that that inhibits the production of melatonin and can, can cause uh, an increase in cancer. So those are four things that you've got to do. Diet, good food, exercise, detox, and get plenty of sleep. Absolutely. And these are kind of just obvious, like, commonsensical things you know and it's but the thing not is not when you've been living uncommon right, and, and right. senseless the thing and is you know what? we're not doing it you're yet. right you're right they are common sense but but there it's amazing to me how many people know that's what they should be doing but they just don't do it so i think the key is mental to all this you've got to you got to just be mentally directed you've got to be so intense that no matter what I do, if, especially if you have cancer, I'm going to do these things. You've got to be so committed mentally that you do these things because people are waking up. They know, hey, you know what? 
most of this junk I'm eating is not good for me. I should be exercising. I should be sleeping more. But they don't do it. So really, I think it all stems from the mental commitment to do this. And if, you, if you're mentally committed, you can do this and you can beat cancer. That's my message to everybody, that there is hope. Unlike the conventional treatments, or the conventional doctors that will scare you into a treatment, my, my message and you, your message to people is, hey, there is hope. Learn how to treat cancer naturally. It doesn't need to be a death sentence. Yeah, I guess, uh, Ty, I always ask my guests what their model is. You know, what is the legacy or example that you're wanting to lead? And that's exactly what it is. I just heard you say it, that there is hope. Absolutely. And this is, cancer is not a death sentence. It's not, cancer is a symptom of something else. Cancer is feedback that you need to change. Cancer is a detour sign from the road that you're going down. What? That's right. That's right. The cancer Cancer is like a check engine light in your car going off, and modern medicine treats it by taking a hammer and smashing the check engine light. Right. And and natural guys and gals like we like we are treat it by getting to the bottom of the problem so that the check engine light goes off on its own. Absolutely. Yes. 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 Ty, it's been an honor and a privilege having you on the show. And I appreciate it so much, man. So let everybody know where they can get connected to you and your work. Sure. And thank you so much, Sean and Jade. You guys are awesome. I'll come back on anytime. You just let me know when. People can reach me at www.cancertruth.net, C-A-N-C-E-R-T-R-U-T-H.net. Awesome. Well, you guys, everybody, you heard it here. This is this okay. is the real deal. It's yeah. all about stacking the conditions in your favor. That's right. You know, flooding your body with anti-cancer nutrition, um, avoiding those things that are known carcinogens in our day-to-day life, moving our body, sleeping like a baby, and just living in reality of what's real and natural. You know, so our, and that includes what you take in, what you listen to. Yes, yes, yes. What you listen to, what you read, what information you are allowing within. That's why you're listening to The, the Model, Model Health, Health Show. Show. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll talk with you soon. And make sure for more after the show, you head over to theshawnstevensonmodel.com. That's where you can find the show notes. And if you've got any questions or comments, make sure to let me know. And please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and let everybody know that our show is awesome and you're loving it. And I read all the comments, so please leave me a comment there. And take care, everybody. promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help transform your life. 